in Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. And it says this. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are now fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So he kicks this off in verse 1 by saying, for this reason, okay? So for this reason. Now, Paul is... He's referring back to what he's just communicated. He's communicated these unifying truths to these two people groups. And as he reflects back and looks back towards that, he's now going to pray for them. But before the beginning of his prayer, um, he decides to reaffirm these truths again. Okay, so, so in other words, as he, as he reflects back, he goes, man, I need to talk about this some more before I pray. Have you ever uh, been about to pray or already started to pray and then you went, wait a second, there's something different here. Um, and so Paul uh, begins talking about this and he knew the value of repetition in particular when he's teaching something new or something that doctrinally was, was something that, that they had yet to fully comprehend. And so he knew that. He knew these people. He had spent time in this area before. And, and so as he understands and knows the values of, of, of just repeating something in order for them to comprehend and understand I think it's important for us to realize and reflect on on the reality that that there are a lot of things in Scripture here in the Bible that we just cannot fully comprehend. Amen? And and man, it's just, I agree. You don't have to say if you don't agree. But there's just certain, and and there's certain truths in here that, that honestly, you and I, maybe we wouldn't believe if we didn't trust God already. Okay, and, and this isn't something new. Like, like in the Bible, like as he's even addressing this, you've got to understand that this was so difficult for them to wrap their minds around. This new unity between these two people groups. And, and, and so this isn't a new struggle that, that just happened. Oh, now they're struggling to understand God's intent. Like we see even uh, during Jesus' time uh, in John chapter 6, verse 60, after Jesus has spoken, it says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? Or in other words, who can understand it? This is hard. Who can understand it? These are Jesus' followers, disciples. In, in 2 Peter 3, 16, Peter alludes uh, to Paul's writing, um, and, and, and he literally says that there are some things in them that are hard to understand. Okay, so the Bible doesn't pretend that it's just easy to, to fully comprehend. Like, like, there's a lot of things in here that it says, in my humanity, in my flesh, on this earth, I will never fully comprehend. Okay, uh, Paul speaks of himself here. This is really interesting. Paul speaks of himself as what? Uh, he calls himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. That's not odd to you. I mean, think about that. He says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, as he's, as he's saying, this is who I am, um, I want you to think. 
if you invite somebody to church or you say, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus, you more than likely don't say, hey, join me in becoming a prisoner of Jesus Christ, right? Or like, man, my faith is so incredible. Ever since I became a prisoner, it's really changed my life for the better. And, you know, and, and, and some of you, maybe you said that, and people are like, yeah, I don't want that. I don't want to be a part of that. And, and as you read this, this is a little bit odd, okay, if you just read it as face value, because he had been a prisoner for about five years at this point, two years in Caesarea, and then the rest of his time, he's been serving in Rome, He was arrested on Jewish charges, but he didn't consider himself a prisoner of the Jews, right? He doesn't introduce himself that way. He was imprisoned by Roman authority, but but he doesn't consider himself a prisoner of Caesar. He himself calls himself a prisoner of Jesus. In other words, whatever he did, wherever he went, including prison, what he's saying is he was under Christ's control. In other words, he, his life was chained up to Jesus Christ. Okay, so, so literally, he made him, he's like, I am attached to you, Jesus. Whatever that means. And the word he's using here is, I'm a prisoner of you. I am all in with you. Wherever you are, I am. Uh, and, 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 and including prison. So the will of Christ, we see, took Paul to prison. And he embraces it. Without God's consent, there was no power or government that had any authority over him. He knew that. From the beginning, Jesus' call to ministry for Paul, it, was, it involved suffering. In Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, uh, and under, like, this individual is being led to go talk to Paul, to go get Paul. And at this point, Paul is a guy that was anti-Christians. And so this individual is, set, is told to go get Paul. And in verse, chapter 9, verse 15, it says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So the initial call on Paul's life wasn't, Hey, Paul, I want you to come be a part of this. You will become so wealthy, Paul. You will be given incredible status. No, the call on Paul's life was a call to suffer. It was, it was literally a call, join me at, and, and you're going to suffer for this. And Paul literally willingly went forward with that. Now here's why this is so important. God is not trying to trick you into following him. I am not up here. I didn't like try and concoct this sermon that would manipulate your mind and your feelings in order for you to magically walk out, go into the waters of baptism, and come up and go, what just happened? Like, that's, that's not the intent here, and that's not the intent of the Bible. Uh, it is very, very clear uh, about the call and the cost of the call. Okay, he was willing to suffer for Christ. And for the sake of the mission, we read in, in Colossians 1.24 where he said, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. And so as we, as, as we think about his commitment, understanding and knowing that there would be suffering, and we think about what like God is, is calling us to, for those of us that believe and we're following him, we should not be surprised by suffering. In 2 Timothy 3.12, 
Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's not like if, it's not if you play your cards right, if you're this kind of Christian. No, if you desire to live a godly life and to follow Jesus, you're going to experience suffering. Jesus even said in John 15, 20, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And if this call, if this is the call on our lives, and yet so many people keep responding to it, you've got to wonder what's behind this, right? Because if you were looking to like build your religion brand and expand it all across the globe, you probably wouldn't build it around a call to suffer, would you? And yet we see it continue to grow, continue to reach new people. And I, and I always come back to this and I go, man, that has got to be the work of God because it doesn't make sense outside of God doing that because it's such a difficult calling. And what we see with Paul is we see this, this reality that perspective is so important. You know, how we respond to circumstances in more, is more important than the actual circumstances themselves. You know, if we, if we only see our immediate circumstances uh, and, and that's all we see, then those circumstances, those situations that we're being consumed with, those start to define us. They define whether we feel good about ourselves. These circumstances, if they're good, I feel great, right? If my job's going well and, and that defines me, then I feel good. If my marriage is going well and that defines me, then I feel good. If, if my kids seem to be getting out of trouble and, and, and their lives define mine, then, then I feel good, right? If I'm healthy, I feel good about myself. But the problem with basing my whole uh, view uh, and reality about, about me being right with God or being right in this life off of circumstances circumstances is what happens when those circumstances aren't good? What happens when my job isn't going well? What happens when I'm having roommate issues? What happens when my marriage is crumbling? What happens when my kids want nothing to do with me and they're turning their backs and they're, and they're literally on a self-destructive path? What do I do then? And so we see this danger that a lot of us fall into where we allow our circumstances to have authority over our lives. And we're giving our circumstances a power that it has no right to have, nor does it even have the authority. Like there's only one source of this authority, and Paul is saying God has that authority, and so regardless of the circumstances, regardless of my present condition in prison, God supersedes all of that. You know, if he had thought that his life was in the actual hands of his persecutors or the guards that were guarding him, he would have given up, wouldn't he have? Right? If, 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 if Paul's total like, trust would have, would have been uh, in, 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 in just like his, his, his condition, his present conditions, right? then, then you and I would have given up. If, like, we would have been consumed with the opposition. Our, our circumstances, we would have said, there's no way I'm useful in this because I'm locked up, God. But what we see with him is something different. He lived his life in total trust in God's plans and purpose. He did not see his imprisonment as getting in the way of the mission of Jesus. They could chain him up, but they could not chain the message. Later in Ephesians uh, 6.20, he says, I am an ambassador in chains. In 2 Timothy 2.9, he says, For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. You can bound me, you can do all these things to me, but you can't touch that because God is sovereign over all of it. What mattered most to Paul was not security, but the mission of Jesus. 
It was not that he fully knew or fully understood his purposes, the purposes of God behind his pain, but he knew that every aspect of his life was in God's hands. And he knew God's word. In Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, I read that, we read that, we'll send it to people, we'll post about it. But I'll tell you what, I read this verse, this verse is so hard. This is, is such a difficult verse for me because, not, not because I'm like, man, how do you understand this? But, but just the reality that, I'll tell you what, there's a lot of circumstances in life where, where I, I go, man, that seems to point that this verse is not true. There are certain things in life that you go through. There's losses, there's tragedy, there's, there's all these things. And I don't know about you, but, but from my perspective, I go, evil just won, God. Where were, God, like, how in the world is this verse true in this situation, God? If you're sovereign, you can do it. Why, why in the world? And, 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 and so we, we remember this verse and we go, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Well, God, why did this have to happen? Like, Why? And, and honestly, I, if you've never wrestled with that, like, you should wrestle with that. Because like, like, life is, is, is so hard. It is so hard. And, and, and listen, um, I, there are so many situations I look back on, and, and man, I know this verse. I've heard this verse. I've memorized this verse. But I go, man, God, I don't get it. I don't understand this. I don't understand the why here. And it's in those situations where I have to continue to look at Scripture and I go, man, okay, well, what do I hold on to? Well, James 1, 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And, and, and so I read that and I go, man, I have to cling to this because in my limited viewpoint of this situation, of this tragedy, of, of what's going on over here, I cannot reconcile that to a perfect and holy God in my flesh. I can't. I can't see any good in this. I may never see any good in this while I am here living on this earth. But it's in those moments where I got to choose what am I going to hold on to? What I don't know, what I can't see, or by the authority of Scripture, who God is. And the track record of who God is. And the fact that he says that there is something in this beyond your ability to understand or comprehend that I am doing that is going to lead to a completeness, that is going to lead to a fulfillment of a mission, I have to rely on that because if I don't, where do you turn to? You turn to a leader? You turn to, to a political party? You turn to, 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 to a person? A, a friend? Like, like what happens? Because they're not always there. And so where do you go in those situations outside of this? And like I said, it is so hard. But, but Paul knew that his circumstances had happened for the progress of the mission, for the progress of the gospel. Uh, he, he says in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that, it, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord 
by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He says, all these things have happened and only could have happened as a result of my imprisonment. Did you see all that? That he just said, all these things happened. These, like, like the gospel's going to all these people at the highest of levels. In, in literally the, the country that is dominating the known world, at the highest of levels, the gospel is going there because I'm in prison. Uh, people are having boldness that never were bold before as a result of me being in prison. And he's saying all these things are a result of something that you and I would pray against, right? None of you is, is at night going, God, if you want to lock me up, just do it. Just do it. Take me. Rip me away from my family so that I may suffer, right? You're not praying that prayer. If you are, we should talk. But we're not. We're not looking, how, how can I suffer? Okay, like, like how? Okay, we're not. But, but we should never go, oh, I got to run from this. Because what that communicates is, is God actually isn't sovereign over that person, over that situation, over that sickness, whatever that may be. And, and it is hard, it is difficult, but we see, even in spite of all those things, Paul says, God has continued to do what he wouldn't have otherwise done without me being here. And for that, I embrace it. Paul writes in, in, in verse 2 here, uh, he says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. So he's assuming that his audience has already heard of the stewardship of God's grace which has been given to him on behalf of the Gentiles. Now, a steward uh, is, is, is someone that is responsible for taking care of what belongs to somebody else, right? If, if some of you, uh, you get away and maybe you have dogs, you ask someone to maybe come and to watch your dogs, uh, and they are a steward of your animals, or you have someone house sit, they are a steward of your house when you leave. You have specific instructions, you have expectations of what your house needs to look like when you come back. So they are a steward of that. When we look at Paul's apostleship, what he's saying to them is all of this, this mission, what God has entrusted to me, it is, it is not mine. This is not my ministry. These are not my giftings to hold on to for myself. I didn't pick this calling. I didn't say, hey God, choose me for that. No, he's saying God chose me. God commissioned me. He called me out. These are God's gifts. This is God's mission. And so I am called to be a steward of that because it's his. The temptation for us, whether it's like, oh, that's my church. Oh, that's, that's my ministry. That's my thing. This is my gifting. See, the danger is for me to go, okay, thank you, God. Versus going, no, 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 no. God, you have blessed me with this. It belongs to you. Help me to faithfully steward what is yours while I'm here. And that's a huge shift in our thinking, right? And, and so as we, as we look at our own lives, every one of us is a steward. If we're a believer, we are a steward of the calling and the blessings that we have from God. Everything we have is his we are entrusted as stewards to manage our lives and possessions on behalf of him, the owner. 
We're faithful stewards when we use what we have to minister to those within the family of God and witness to those who are outside of that. In 1 Peter 4.10, it says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Paul's stewardship was unique. It it wasn't just this normal thing. In verses 3 and 4, he says, How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. So he's saying, I have been given this insight from God uh, into insight into the mystery of the Messiah. So Paul is saying, like, I, I have been given this unique role in the redemptive history of mankind. God has given me this insight into a mystery. Now, now when we see this word insight, uh, what, what, is that, what, is that, what does that mean, right? Well, well like, what we see here is, is insight refers to comprehension and understanding. Okay, so, so if you've been given insight into something, it means that you're able to comprehend and understand something. And Paul is saying, I have been given this deep understanding and comprehension from God in a place that was historically a mystery. And, and, and so we see that, that one of the things that's so important is spiritual insight must always precede spiritual application. Because what is not properly understood cannot be properly applied, right? If you've ever given someone instructions and they left and they went to go do what you asked them to do and they came back and you looked and you went, oh my goodness, that's nothing like what I told you to do, uh, right? They didn't have a proper understanding and so they did not have proper application. And I think for, for a lot of us, this is, this is really, really important. Because typically, we find ourselves uh, on one of two extremes, right? We want to know absolutely everything and have every answer before we will commit to anything. Right? There's some of us that are like that. We drive our bosses nuts. We're just like, okay, I need to know why I'm going to walk over there. And then you need to tell me what and how, and and da, 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 da. And then there's others of us on the other side that go, hey, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Right? And so we find ourselves, a lot of us, on one of these two extremes, and both have have good things about them, right? Like like those on this side, they don't just like flippantly do whatever, um, and then, you know, but but they also uh, struggle taking risk. And then on this side, uh, you know, (laughs) the struggle is they don't think through things, and so a lot of times there's a trail of wreckage in their, in their wake um, and, and things maybe that weren't done how they were supposed to, but they are willing to step out in faith, right? And so we see that, that we, we a lot of times align with these different things that are pulling at us. Uh, and the reality, though, is, is this. God wants to give us comprehension and understanding. Right? Like, like I said, he's not trying to manipulate or distort. Like he wants to bring to you understanding and comprehension into the mystery, into uh, the reality of what, not only who he is, but what he's calling you into. And, and that happens as we pursue him. Because like God does not want you to just make some decision um, based upon the sound of music, based upon how convincing someone is. He wants you to understand, especially when it comes to following him, pursuing him, giving him your life. Like, like, like when you think about we're going to have baptisms at the end of the gathering. Like, like the reality is you should comprehend and understand who God is and receive him as your Lord and Savior before you do that. 
Because if you don't know what that is, why would you publicly proclaim that? Okay, so, so we, we need to have an understanding. The more Paul, what he's saying, the more he comprehended about God's love, the more insight he was given, the more he was compelled to share and to bring this grace and this message and this mission. And so we, as believers, if we're a believer in this room, we need to grow in our spiritual insight so that we can more understand what we're called to be stewards of. Like, one of the things that's so beautiful about this is the reality that, that you have been given a special and specific mission. And for a lot of us, when you come into a relationship with him, uh, it's like I tell people all the time, I never wanted to be a pastor. No, thank you. Um, and, and there's still times I think that. And um, just being transparent, because we're real here. But... Um, when I went all in with God, what he placed on my heart was something I could not have put there. It would have been a mystery to me. It would not have made sense. One of the exciting things about coming into a relationship with Jesus is the reality that, that there, is, there are continuous mysteries that he brings to light in your life as you seek insight and you deepen your faith. And it's an incredible process. And, and, and we see, as we're called to do this, uh, in verses 5 and 6, it says, Which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So, in other words, this mystery that was given to me, it was not made known, it says, to the sons of men in other generations, but now it is. This is a big deal. And when he's talking about sons of men, that's referring to all of mankind. Okay? So, so as mankind as a whole, they did not know this mystery. While the plan of God was present in the Old Testament, parts were unclear or hidden. Before the church age, no person had anything but a glimpse of the truth that Paul is now disclosing. The Old Testament uh, teachings that relate to this mystery can only be understood clearly in light of the New Testament revelation. See, we know the meaning of many Old Testament passages only because they are explained in the New Testament. No one knew the full meaning of God's promise uh, to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3, when he said, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. They, they didn't fully understand that until Paul wrote in Galatians 3, 8, uh, when he said, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. See, no one knew the full meaning of Isaiah's prediction. In Isaiah 49, uh, 6, when he said, he says, it is to light a thing that you should uh, be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. But they didn't fully understand what that meant until Paul explained it more in Acts chapter 13, verse 46 and 47, when it says, and Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. 
Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So these were things that we look to even today, and we look at these people in the Old Testament and go, man, what's your problem? Why didn't you believe that? Why didn't you fully understand that? Where's your faith? Why didn't you study? Man, these people studied. Okay, they, they weren't like, they didn't have their heads in the clouds and all that. No, like, like what, what is happening uh, and what they were looking for was fully revealed in the New Testament. And you and I, we have the completed work, so we're cheaters. Okay, we get it all. They, 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 they had like, like words, they had phrases, they had, they had things, and they, and they didn't fully understand the meaning. All that they knew and held on to was we, as Jews, are God's chosen people. Okay, so the Old Testament saints, they had, they had no vision of, of the church assembling uh, together as all, all saved and all a part of one body united, like, like, like where, where there's no racial distinctions. Like, like they, didn't, they, weren't compre- they weren't comprehending that. Like when they would hear these things, the clues that they had in the Old Testament, they were a mystery because they didn't have all the information. They had pieces. And Paul says, I have been uniquely given the keys, the rest of the puzzle, to this incredible mystery. And this was so hard for them to understand, to comprehend, that that now Gentiles would be on equal footing with them spiritually. I mean, it was such an inconceivable thought that even Peter, who was extremely close with Jesus, continued to fall back into the way of thinking that the Jews were better than the Gentiles. It was hard. And and so this is why Paul, even before this prayer, as as he goes into this, he's concerned about what he's shared to the point where he goes, man, I need to explain this more. I need to explain it again and again because this is so difficult for you, his audience, to wrap, his mind, to wrap their minds around. That truth was, has now been revealed, he talks about, to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. Okay, so these men were the instruments of writing Scripture these holy apostles and prophets. They wrote scripture through the Spirit's inspiration, right? So just as Jesus said what happened, Jesus said, I'm going to leave, I'm going to bring and, 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 and give you the helper, the Holy Spirit, who's the messenger, and he's going to bring to your mind what I taught. He's going to give you the words to write. And we see this happen so that the completed work of God is, is finished. And these individuals that he's talking about here, they, they were scattered. They ended up giving up their lives for this. But the revelation, the mystery was complete. It was given. And, and it's difficult, once again, for us to understand how, how revolutionary this truth was to these uh, people groups, especially in spite of the fact, remember, the Old Testament teaches that Gentiles will be blessed by God, that Gentiles will bless God, that the Messiah will come to Gentiles, that they will be saved by the Messiah, and that they will receive the Holy Spirit. But still, the idea of including Gentiles in one body with Jews just didn't work in their minds. And so Paul here once again declares that mystery. What is that mystery? He says it again. That Gentiles are fellow heirs. They're fellow heirs. They are fellow members of the body. They are fellow members 
of this newly established body of Christ. And they're not the, the parts of the body that people are trying to hide. They are equal members. They have equal significance before God. Equal spiritual gifting before God. They are fellow partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. He says, this is the mystery. Once again, let me reinforce that to you before I pray on your behalf. He says, these things have been made known to you, church, and now you need to celebrate this reality and then share this reality. And the question I have for us this morning is... What is God right now trying to bring insight into your life about? Because this, this is so significant. I mean, this, this is such a special thing. And, and Paul says, God has given me this insight into this mystery. And, and, and I think for a lot of us in our lives... We, we either start to just go through the motions, we start to just do the, the, the Bible reading plan, uh, but we keep it as just a plan, we, we, we just do what we're supposed to do, but we're not approaching him going, God, you have specifically gifted and brought into my life a mission, and you have brought me unique giftings, God, to be able to be used to steward on your behalf. I pray, God, that you would give me insight into understanding not only what that is, but how I can move forward in that. And I think if we're not careful and intentional with God, we stop praying that. See, we, we, these mysteries that once were so significant in our life, right? Like, like when you think about just initially, I, I remember the moment on the beach when God was like, I am real. And I go, whoa. And it was overwhelming for me. It was an incredible moment, but, but it's not like with God that he goes, oh, that's it. No, that should have been just the beginning of him unfolding more and more of these mysteries in not only to the reality of who he is, but how he's designed, wired me, and what he's called me to do. And it can be an incredible journey for you. It can be a journey that supersedes persecution, sickness, health, uh, your circumstances, all of that. But you have to make a decision. You have to make a decision. Am I going to go all in with him? And by going all in with him, this is not a call to luxury. This is not a call to uh, an increased amount in your bank account. This is actually a call that you might suffer for. You might have issues with your family. You might have issues at your work. You might deal with things that you can't fully reconcile in your mind, in your heart. And, and so I get it. This is not like, I, I hope that this never comes across as, hey, what's wrong with you? You know, if you question or you doubt, like, what, what, what's wrong? with No, 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 no. I know that whenever somebody makes a decision to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that is an act of God. Because when I read about Paul, I go, one, man, I am like in the minor leagues compared to this dude. And the other thing I go is, God, this is, man, this is so much bigger than what I can pull off. God, I need you. God, help me to look beyond my circumstances. God, help me to, to look beyond these things in my life that I can't understand. And help me to trust in you. Because I have no business giving authority to things 
that are not you because he has ultimate authority. And you guys, that's what we cling to. And this morning, as we think about even baptism, that's what those that are getting baptized, that is what they're demonstrating and showing to you publicly, that they have made a decision to give their lives to Jesus. And they're so excited about that, not because it's going to make their life easier, not because like, like just they woke up and flowers and butterflies and there was a rainbow. No, in fact, probably none of that happened, right? If it did, that's pretty cool, but that didn't happen for me, okay? Um, a lot of times right after that moment is difficulty. But what they want you to know, what, what, whoever, if anybody gets baptized, what they're, what they're demonstrating and saying is, I want you to celebrate with me, and I want you to know that Jesus Christ has saved me, and I'm a Jesus follower. And that's why we celebrate. That's why we're going to clap. And when we think about this incredible calling, I just, I just want... Once again, us to be a church that collectively asks God, continue to unveil who you are to us collectively. To, to, to continue to bring to light mysteries. That we would take st steps of boldness together as individuals. Those of us that are like, man, I want to be here. This is my church home. I pray that you pray this way. I pray that you seek insight, that you go deeper with him. Because I'm telling you right now, when we do that, that's when God becomes enough and he supersedes all these other things that you will never be able to reconcile while you're on this earth. Let's pray.